Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not live me, love me will not obey my teaching. The words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming, and he has no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, as you come by your Holy Spirit, we just pray that you will open our hearts to see you more clearly, to love you more dearly, and to follow you more nearly, this day and evermore. Amen. Amen. Well, it is... Uh, it's fantastic to be back here at St. Paul's. Uh, there's this whole business about penultimate sermon. Um, I guess what that means is, after today, I've got one more chance to get it right. <laughs> so maybe we can do this together. And um, as Tom said at the beginning, we're going to have a little bit of interaction on this service. We're going to experiment a little bit. 
Um, now, one of the hardest things for me, I have to say, during lockdown has been to witness what has been going on in my old business, in my old uh, industry, which was hospitality. Many of you will know I was in the hotel business for 30 years. So it is great news that after this weekend, so a week, a week tomorrow, that the hotels can finally reopen and restaurants can start having people indoors again. Now, we've done quite well, haven't we, in the last few weeks? I think, Stefan, we got, yeah, there we go. There we go. I don't know if any of you recognize yourselves on those pictures. We're a stoic bunch, aren't we? Yeah, still out there, wind and rain, but we will dine. And so the, uh, yeah, the exciting thing is we can do it with a roof over our heads as of uh, a week on Monday, assuming, of course, everything goes right, which it looks like it's going to. Uh, so I thought this might be an appropriate time to dust... Oh, I'm such a wanderer, and I've got to be careful these days with this cow. Hi, everyone at home. <laughs> No, I think I'm still on. Um, so I thought what we might do is uh, play the old parlor game or the old um, dinner guest game. You know that one, don't you? Where you imagine your ideal dinner guest. You've got to come up with your ideal dinner guest. So, so the scenario is the lockdown is lifted. You're going to the restaurant a week on Monday, yippee. And you know when you walk into the restaurant that at the table there, you're going to see seated your ideal dinner guest. That's how you're going to open up lockdown, your ideal dinner guest. So have a think. I want to come around with the microphone. We're going to experiment here. Um, and this is where I'll need to <laughs> have a mask and a microphone. Um, a, yeah, this could be interesting. This might get tricky. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take that off. Is the stick? Is this working? Nigel, are we on the stick? Yeah, yeah? excellent. All right. So well, this is all new. This is all new. We're all experimenting together. Ben is actually going to move the camera around too. So what? All I want you to do is to think of who are your a couple, just a one or two guests that you could come up with. So let's have some hands, and I'll come out to you. All right, Bob, that's good. Uh, right, camera's over there. So this is all new to me. I'm going to um, Barack and Michelle Obama. Everyone's going, ooh, Bob. Uh, it might deserve an explanation then, one, a one-sentence explanation. Uh, because I think they're a great couple. That's all. Fantastic. Okay. You don't know them personally, do you? No, I don't. Excellent. All right. Even better. You will get to know them. Uh, We've got uh, Simon here. Now, I'd like to have Will William Wilberforce. I know he's not still alive, but I think he was a fantastic man and did a great job. Oh. William Wilberforce, yeah, I, I would imagine that would be quite an interesting conversation. Absolutely. We're talking about people who actually stood up for the faith. Absolutely. Excellent. Oh, well, we've got more. Sharon over here. I'm going to come behind you, Sharon, so that you, the camera can see you. Okay, I'm going to say Hugh Jackman, just because he's amazing. <laughs> no other reason that you just like Hugh Jackman. He's an amazing singer, yeah. He's an amazing singer, oh yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> Hugh Jackman, okay, oh, we'll keep going backwards. Becky, Ben and George and my grandchildren and my in-laws because I miss them so much. What a brilliant answer. What a brilliant answer. Okay, I'm coming around here to, uh, to John. I'd like to uh, have C.S. Lewis. I mean, he'd be a wonderful, I think, person to sit and chat to. That sounds good. That sounds good. See, how about C.S. Lewis and the Obamas with Wilberforce? You wouldn't turn that down, would you? One more. Let's get time for one more. Mandy? 
David Attenborough. I think he's an amazing man. He's had an amazing life, and we share a lot of passions, and he's still got a twinkle in his eye. Ooh, that's a, that's a good one. I'm wondering if anybody at home joined in. Did anyone at home join in with that? Have we got anything on the chat? Oh, look, Tisha says, can she be on Simon's table with William Wilberforce? Is that all right, Simon? <laughs> Simon is saying yes, Tish, I think, there. Anybody else got anything? Uh, no, you're all, you're all being a bit slow at home. Oh, Tish says, or John's table with C.S. Lewis. Oh, Tish doesn't mind. She's inviting herself to every dinner table. Okay, well, <laughs> we'll leave that one for now, shall we? Brilliant. Well, thank you for that. Oh, I need to switch again. Okay. I'll be glad when these masks are done with, won't you? <laughs> Goodness. Well, thank you for those answers. But I'm going... I, I think one thing that we heard there was perhaps the most honest, and if all of us deep down really thought about it, and we've been starved of our families and our friends for so long, that I think the idea of having dinner with family, with friends, with loved ones that we haven't seen for such a long time. People, I guess, who know us and we know, who we trust, where we can be ourselves, those who love us unconditionally. I think I'm at that table too. I think that makes sense to me right now. But let's stay with this idea of, of hospitality, because I want to show you another image, and, and one that I think hope is going to stay with us for most of, of what I have to say this morning, and I, I really want you to get to know this. Um, those of you who know your iconography, anybody know their iconography? Oh, Bob's admitting it, but then, yeah, ordination does that to you, doesn't it, Bob? Um, you may recognize this. This is called the Holy Trinity. It's by uh, Andrei Rublev. It's a 15th century painting from the Russian Orthodox Church. And, and, well, it depicts quite literally three angels seated at a table with uh, the three sides of a table. And um, it is the story at a literal level of Abraham uh, being visited by three angels in the story that we read in Genesis. But the way that it's been painted, and if you look carefully, the way that the bodies are shaped, the way that the heads are inclined, it inscribes a perfect circle, which symbolizes the unity of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And on the table, there's a chalice, which is positioned on this open side of the table as we look at it as viewers. And it's generally interpreted that the space on this side of the table is for us. It's for you. It's a, an invitation to join the relationship that is at the very heart of God's inner life. A meal with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Another place, I think we can say, where we are known, where we can be ourselves, with those we can trust, and who love us unconditionally. So perhaps also ideal dinner guests. And if that scenario sounds a little bit far-fetched, then we need to revisit the scriptures 
that we've just listened to. Now, I have to confess to you that John chapters 14 to 17 frequently leave me a little bit bewildered. And that's because the way that John writes and elaborates on the dynamic relationships within the Godhead tends to be, or can be, a little bit confusing. It is absolutely drenched in Trinitarian language. And and sometimes I find it helpful not to try and sort of pick at every little detail and try and work out all the syntax, but just to sit back and soak up the beauty and the elegance of the divine mystery that's being described. So what I'd like you to do is, as I read some of these verses back uh, that Bob just read to us, listen for the interrelatedness of God. And how he invites us in. I'd like you to try and imagine yourself seated at the fourth seat of of this table. On the open end. You're seated with God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And Jesus is explaining this directly to you. Verse 16. I, Jesus, will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you. And he will be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Verse 21, the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home in them. And verse 26, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all these things and remind you of everything that I've said. It's amazing language. And what an amazing privilege to be invited in to this family meal. God's own family within himself, Father, Son, Spirit, and us. And yet as a church, as a church, that's exactly what we do, especially when we come together to gather for communion. The Eucharist, all of us seated, metaphorically at least, around the same table. And I know for a lot of us, that is what we've missed with the churches closed, just coming to have that meal together. There can be a a tendency within some branches of the evangelical church to, I would say, let's say underplay a little bit the importance of Eucharist. Focus perhaps too exclusively on the word, on scripture, the sermon. But we should never underestimate the spiritual significance and power of what goes on at the Eucharistic feast. God uses those physical elements to invite us into closer union with himself. To participate in the heavenly life. How it works? Well, that's a mystery. And literally in Greek, a mysterion, a word that we translate as sacrament. An outward and visible sign of God's invisible grace. But you know, it's been said, and I love this quote, that the Eucharist is a space where heaven and earth meet, in which the faithful gather to converse with the saints and be swept up in the drama of salvation. What a fantastic image that is. Communion is a spiritual bridge between our often mundane daily lives and the infinite landscape of God's eternal kingdom. And that's also why it's so important that as as lockdown lifts, we don't lose that habit of meeting together. And I know that's something that that Tom was talking about a couple of weeks ago when he preached. There will always be reasons, medical or otherwise, why some people right now need to be, continue to be cautious. And I get that. 
And incidentally, I have no issue at all with online church. Believe me, I'm a huge believer, people at home, huge believer in online church. And you are indeed part of the communion here in the sense that we are worshipping together. And even online for communion, there is spiritual communion. But we've got to be careful of not drifting away. And I see this at the moment. Somebody, somebody commented recently that languishing seems to be the word of the moment. The dominant emotion of 2021, it's been called, languishing. This sense of, of, of stagnation and emptiness. A state where it feels like you're just sort of muddling through and you're looking through a foggy windscreen. And we have to shake out of that. And the only way we're going to be able to do it is together as a church, as a fellowship. We convince ourselves sometimes, I think, that worshipping God is just as good in a field or on a mountaintop, or in our back gardens. And all those places, of course, we can commune with God, but it is not a substitute for church. It is not. God's people have to be, need to be in community because we join together to seek forgiveness, to offer praise, to give thanks, and to be transformed, to have the spiritual energy from our own inner transformation to go out and transform the world. The world. What can we say about the world? Which pops up a couple of times in today's reading. Well, in John's Gospel, we know, of course, famously, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And yet, in this passage, the world is presented as a place of opposition and ignorance. When Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit, he tells us that the world cannot accept him, doesn't see him, doesn't know him. And when Judas asked that question of Jesus, why don't you show yourself to the world as well as to us? Jesus gives a rather oblique answer, but says basically, well, the world doesn't obey me. The world doesn't know me or love me. And if we think back to that famous prologue of John's gospel in describing Jesus as the light of the world, John writes, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not well, many translations do indeed say overcome it, but others, that word can be translated also, uh, as it is in the King James Version, as comprehended or understood. The word that the world has not, or darkness, I'm sorry, has not comprehended it, doesn't get it. And we know this, don't we? The world doesn't get Jesus, doesn't get the Holy Spirit. I do think that the way of Christ self-sacrifice, service, grace and mercy, peace and reconciliation. These are, uh, these are all things that are often respected and even admired. So at least gives us a, 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 a basis for engagement, if you like, with the world. But connecting the appreciation of those qualities to an acknowledgement of a loving God who calls each of us to repentance and personal transformation is completely at odds with the way that the world works most of the time. And that's got implications for us. Because as Christians living in a largely post-Christian society, the world does not get us. And we shouldn't expect it to, frankly. Because our faith in a resurrected Messiah makes no sense whatsoever. And in the face of this, it would be easy enough, it is easy enough, to quietly compromise, to blend in neatly with the world and be accepted as thoroughly decent people. 
keep the faith thing largely for Sundays around this fellowship table. This is our safe space, isn't it? Here together. The problem is we can't stay at this table. We have to live out in the world and we have to live out our faith in the world. And at the end of our scripture today, Jesus says these words, come on now, let's leave. Now he was presumably referring to leaving the upper room, heading for the garden of Gethsemane in preparation for his arrest and ultimately his death. But for us, it means leaving to face up to the day-to-day challenges of life, needy children and overbearing bosses and traffic jams and emails and family squabbles, whatever it is, or might be something more serious. Broken relationships or physical, mental health issues, failing businesses. There's a lot of really difficult stuff that we're facing right now. So when we walk away from this fellowship table, how do we ensure that we don't get swallowed up by these challenges or distractions? How can we still be effective and compassionate disciples and distinctive disciples of Christ? Or in the words of our sermon series, how do we operate from a place of freedom and not from fear? So let's come back to this table again. Imagine yourself seated at this table. But you're about to stand up and leave. And drawing on today's reading, let's think about one thing we leave behind and one thing that we take with us as we go. Jesus says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus invites us to leave him with all of those fears, with the anxiety, with the confusion, with the things that confound us. And replace them instead with his own peace, his deep, deep peace. The shalom. So whatever worry is in your heart right now, and it's hard, I know, try to let that go. Try to accept that promise of Christ. My peace I give you. Those fears, let's leave behind. But something else happens as you stand up to leave the table. Someone else stands up with you. The Holy Spirit. And Jesus looks up at you and he says, you know what? I'm going to ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you. And be with you forever, the spirit of truth. He'll teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. And it's true, isn't it? Sometimes we're apt to say, if only Jesus was here now. We could ask him anything. Well, the good news is, he is. He is, because for all of us who know Jesus as Lord, we take his spirit wherever we go within us. I know what you're thinking. It's not the same, is it? It's hard to get, it's hard to get clear answers. It's hard to really understand what he wants from me. Yes, and any reading of the Gospels will tell you that his disciples at the time had exactly the same problem. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit will remind us of everything he said, but that doesn't absolve us from the discipline of prayer and reflection to seek the revelation of the truths that he speaks to us. But the Holy Spirit offers much more than reminders of Jesus' words. The Greek descriptive word for the Holy Spirit in this, trans, uh, in this uh, passage that's translated as advocate is parakletos. In other Bible versions, you'll see it translated as counselor, helper, comforter. 
And the Spirit is indeed all of those things. As advocate, the Spirit speaks on our behalf when we're confronted or challenged or facing any kind of persecution. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At the time, at that time, you will be given what to say. For it won't be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. As helper and comforter, the Spirit articulates our deepest needs. In Romans, Paul writes, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And that's without even mentioning the inner transformational impact of the Spirit in producing in us the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Or the gifts that he may bestow upon us. The miraculous powers, prophecy, spiritual discernment, speaking in and interpreting tongues. You know, the truth is, we walk away from this table fully equipped to do the work that God has set for us in the world because God himself as spirit lives within us and travels with us wherever we go. Jesus has promised that. What that work is, where we're called to do it, well, of course, that's going to be different for each of us. But towards the end of our scripture today, in verses 30 and 31, Jesus reaffirms that whatever it is that we're called to do, we're going to be operating in hostile territory. He says, the prince of the world, the enemy, is coming so that, so that the world may learn that I love the Father. And I do exactly what the Father has commanded me. And there's something, there's something very profound in these words. Because having said earlier that the world doesn't get the gospel message, doesn't understand him, doesn't understand the Holy Spirit, he's telling us that actually... It's because of the opposition that we face and our obedience in the face of it that the world will set up and take notice. It's when we challenge injustice. It's when we stand up for the weak and the dispossessed. It's when we love extravagantly and act from a place of humility and grace. In other words, when we don't blend in with the wallpaper of today's culture, when we're obedient to the Father, these are the very conditions in which to take ownership of Jesus' words for ourselves, the world may learn that we love the Father and that we do exactly what the Father has commanded us. And so as I finish, my prayer for us as his church is that we would have the courage, the obedience, the passion, the compassion to make his ambition our own. And as honorary members of the Holy Trinity, empowered by the Holy Spirit, our constant companion, and by the grace of God, we will succeed, and the world will learn. Amen. So I want to tell you what we're going to do next before uh, the band leads us in a response song. And I want to, you to think about that inspiring vision that we've heard. That the world would know that we love the Father. 
as we stand firm, as we get out there, as we obey, as we show that love and compassion to others. So I want to invite you just to think about what one thing are you praying for? What one situation are you thinking of where the challenge is for you to live that out? Where does the rubber hit the road for you? In what situation are you praying for God's help that you might see Jesus' vision for us in John 14 fulfilled? So after the song, um, we're just going to go around with a microphone again and just see in a sentence or two from a, a range of people in the room what one situation, one thing are you praying for God's help to live this out? So don't share anything, you know, private that you don't want to be shared. But if you've got something that can encourage us about what it means to be a disciple for you living this out, well, we'd love to hear that. And write it on the chat function as well online. We'd love to hear from you too. So the band are going to lead us in a song now as again we invite the Holy Spirit to fill us and work in us and help us to live this out. So let's stand. As a There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Yeah. 